Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco and thanks for joining us at the Page One Podcast where we like to try and speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process, how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. Um, as Tarek says, this is episode 62, which um, more than 62 hours of us speaking on on these things. If you're really bored, <laughs> you, could, you could go and listen to that. But there are some great past episodes there with, uh, you know, uh, screenwriters like Alex Garland and Joe Cornish, authors like Sarah Pimbra, David Baldacci, uh, Peter James, you know, there's there's uh, video game writers, um, th- there's everything there. So please do check out the past episodes and I'm sure you'll find some that you want to listen to. Absolutely. And we've got a really exciting guest this week as well. We do. We're chatting with Helen Whitaker, who is a writer and editor. She was uh, editor of High Life, which is the BA magazine, uh, after being the entertainment director of Glamour UK magazine. And her first novel was The School Run, which came out in August 2019 and was a comedy about the lengths that everyone's uh, mum and dads will go to for a school place, which I'm sure, Marco, you will well, recognise quite well. Yes, I've not I've not quite got to that stage yet, but yeah, <laughs> it, will, it, will, it will arrive, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very funny book and her new book, I Give It A Year, is just out last month as well. So, um, and we chat about that book and why she wanted to write that book just now and also just learn about how her career in journalism has helped her in terms of being a novelist as well you know writing those feature articles has helped her craft her chapters and also help her get into a novel when she's starting the story and things like that yeah it's 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 a really nice fun chat i think and there's a lot to get from 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 her and you know, as Marco says, the interplay between being a journalist and bringing that into novels, there's a lot of tips there. I think a lot of people will get out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the episode with a bit more chat to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember... Every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? I think I did, but I don't think I knew that I did. Like when you're a kid, you just, you write stuff, don't you? Yeah. You're just constantly like, you know, like some kids are just really active and constantly running around, whereas some children are just constantly noodling around with 
terrible poetry or uh, short stories or, you know, just little characters you've come up yeah. with. And I think I was one of those kids where I just really enjoyed writing stories. And when I was at school, I, um, me and a friend of mine wrote a series, a series, as if it was like Game of Thrones epic. <laughs> um, we wrote... Um, short stories but we based them on we were obsessed with things like sweet valley high books but also with like famous five books right so it was this weird mashup of very buttoned up uh sort of teens but also with sort of boyfriends and <laughs> cool kid it basically was called the back row gang and it was based on us and sitting on the back <laughs> row at school and the adventures we got up to so things like that that we just did for fun and passed them between us yeah. and things Nice. But yes, kind of. So, but I think yes, deep down. And, and and so, at what stage did you think? Uh, you know, at what stage did you realise? Wait, I could I could try and do this for for a job. Um, I guess it's writing. I'll separate it into the two different things because I have a day job mm -hmm. as well, and I've always had day jobs which actually pay my mortgage and rent and things like that so it was sort of at university that I realized I could do a job that involved writing in some way as in journalism mm -hmm. and magazines and I wrote for the student paper and things like that um so when it came to actually as a career I mean particularly back in the late 90s early 2000s when magazines existed yes. in abundance um, it was there was a career path that you could get into journalism either by local journalism working up to national journalism or you could start writing for magazines and be like an editorial assistant and work your way up mm -hmm. the ladder that way so I think it was then I realized you could do it in some version as a job which I've always enjoyed doing as for books um I mean it's one of those things I always wanted to do mm -hmm. but I didn't really think that I would necessarily get published and I've had lots and lots of rejections that I can tell you about along the way to actually getting books published um, but I kind of started trying to uh, get books published, I think, when I was in my early 20s was when I got my first rejections from publishers for <laughs> submissions. <laughs> it took me, so my first book came out in 2019 that I actually got published in the end. So, um, yeah. And when you were when you're working as, because you, you were the editor of uh, Glamour UK magazine and you're currently the editor of High Life, which is the BA in-flight magazine, and you've contributed to The Telegraph BBC Three, um, so you've obviously had a lot of experience of making a lot of contacts in that writing world. And was that was that helpful? Was that a good stepping stone, or is it just totally two different worlds? Um, they are connected. I must correct though. I wasn't the editor of Glamour UK because oh, the sorry. editor of Glamour would probably be <laughs> <laughs> promoted. I was the entertainment director at Glamour magazine, and um, uh, yes, but yeah, I worked on a lot of magazines. So my first experience of getting into magazines was I did lots of internships after university. So I did the working for free route while sleeping on friends' floors in London because I'm not from London. So obviously mm -hmm. it's that kind of very much more so now, but I would say even then, you know, the world where if you haven't got enough money to live in London for a bit, then it's pretty um, exclusive. So luckily I had a few friends that had more... Uh, chance of actually being able to rent a flat so they kindly let me sleep on their floors whilst I did a lot of unpaid work and started working for I got a job at the BBC on a team mag there and then moved over to InStyle magazine which is a women's fashion magazine um then I lived in LA for a little bit and did freelance work for British magazines over there and then sort of came back between the two places and then I worked at Glamour for seven years and then have been at high life since then um but yeah i would say definitely contacts you make are useful for when you do get published then you've got people that you sort of already know that you can send features ideas to or say you know you've got to, you can write a personal note to someone saying i'm going to send this book to you please mm -hmm. consider it for your review yeah. pages so i think it definitely makes a difference so it's more that for the kind of post it once the book's written in the marketing yeah. of it type thing i don't to, i don't yeah. think anyone's going to get off i mean some that's actually not true at all is it there's obviously some big name journalists who would be offered a book deal before they've even worked out what the content of that book <laughs> might be but um i had to write books and submit them like everybody else to yeah. agents and publishers and like i say i, I i've written what did I, I write i've written two books that didn't get published mm -hmm. Before I wrote a book that did get published, so um, 
and and when you're when you're writing your books, you know, when you've got a job that is writing during the day, that is the day job that pays the money, um, but you're also writing on the side your own novels or whatever. Um, is it difficult to separate out that those two things, and is it difficult sometimes at the end of the day after doing a day of work to then go and sit down and try and write your book? Yeah, I think yes to the last thing that you just said, which is um, sitting down at the end of it. I'm terrible at writing in the evenings. Mm. I know that some people are really night owls and they can sit and stay up till two o'clock in the morning. My, I would just write absolute drivel. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I have always known that my best time to write is actually first thing in the morning. Right. Um, I mean, I know on the other end of the spectrum, some people are like, I get up at five or six and yeah. I do an hour. Um, when I really seriously got into like novel writing was after I had a baby and there is no time before your child gets up. No, <laughs> that's right. They often yeah. get up at five o'clock <laughs> yeah. in the morning to so be like, when, when is this hour that I get to myself? Um, so I sort of managed to carve out a bit of time, uh, first thing in the morning when nursery had opened. But my day job work hadn't started yet. And I realized I could get 45 minutes sort of about between about 8.30 a.m. and 9.15 and then be at my desk for work at 9.30. That's a, that's a tough day. Well, yeah, but it's, it's weird because if you've been thinking about it for a long time and you sort of know what you want to write that day, you'd have in mind like a scene or a chapter mm-hmm. or, you know, a bit of dialogue that you've been thinking about. You can sort of word vomit the whole thing out. I, I mean, I could probably write about between 500 and 700 words in that 45 minutes so i'm not saying they would be good but they would be on the page mm-hmm. and then have something to go back to later on and often i would find it's a bit like people who do regular exercise and they do it first thing in the morning it sort of sets them up for the day in a sort mm-hmm. of good habit and they're like well i've done that spin class so now i won't go and eat my body weight in chocolate at lunchtime i'll try and be yeah. healthy or go for a walk um and similarly if i'd done that in the morning i found that on my lunch break, I would quite often go down to Pret or whatever, and I'd still be thinking about that and be able to get back into it a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of tinker with it. Do, do you think? So, do you think working in journalism helps you? You know, because some people will say it will take them, you know, all morning to write five hundred words or something. Um, do you think just doing it, do, doing the writing in the on the journalism side, helps you be able to focus on the writing in the fiction side? Yes, definitely. And going back to the, the other bit of the question that you asked about um, about writing, I've found that my chapter lengths tend to be the same length as a magazine feature. Right, okay. So I kind of, I would probably, <laughs> between 1,500 and 2,000 words is like my natural yeah. session, <laughs> writing session. And I think that's years of writing profiles or features that are 1500 to 2000 words long Mm -hmm. that in my head I can do that as a sort of manageable chunk and then I'm my attention moves on to the next thing but from a discipline point of view if you you're used to working with deadlines then and under pressure as well sometimes for turning around quickly I think you just you don't wait for the muse and you don't necessarily wait for anything to sound good because you you're very aware that editing something can make it better but it has to exist to start off yes, with <laughs> absolutely yeah. so yes i think training wise it's trained my brain to work in a certain way and i think i read somewhere that you said previously that um when the the time you spent writing your novel and it sounds like it was kind of squeezed in the gaps and you know in in your working day that you almost felt like you were skiving from your real job and is that was that is that right is that did you feel like you were was it hard to balance that, that feeling of I'm, I should be doing other stuff or was that kind of, kind of like a pressure? I, not really. I think, because, I think because I squeezed it into time that in my head belonged to me, if you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. sort of, I found that actually if I got 45 minutes in the morning where I could think about my thing and my creative endeavour, I suppose, then when I got to my desk at work, they had 100% of my attention mm-hmm. because... I'd yep. done my thing and I was like ready for the work. I don't know. I think I find it quite easy to compartmentalize different things. I think I probably felt a bit guiltier about dropping my son off 45 minutes earlier than he really <laughs> needed to go to nursery. <laughs> but that's parent guilt for you. You always bad about something. <laughs> and looking at the journalism and how it helps the fiction writing as well, it, presumably when you're, um, you're writing a magazine piece or something, you, are 
given a deadline, like you say, but also you're having to structure that in a way that will fit the the length of the article, say it's two thousand mm-hmm. words or something. Does that help when you when it comes to the stories you want to write in fiction as well? Are you quite good at, at thinking of a structure for your stories as well? Um, I suppose you'd have to ask my editor that. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I think I'm good at uh, starting something. I think because with features writing and celebrity profiles, which I've written a lot of, you obviously have to grab everyone's attention in the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm quite good at finding a way into a scene and like starting a chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, I think overall, I think like, I mean, you guys probably know this with your own writing. It's sometimes you come up with a great start and it's the middle that is the big problem like that big yeah. twenty thousand word stretch yeah. where you're like okay now that how where this is going <laughs> but something interesting's got to happen in the middle bit too <laughs> yeah before i get to that great ending i've got in my yeah, the, yeah i've got the great beginning and the Stick great with ending me guys. But, the ending's great yeah. yeah yeah but no one cares what anyone's doing in the middle of this book so we need to find something for people to care about um yeah i, I i'm not sure i think that's uh, uh yeah i think i'm good at writing in 2000 word chunks maybe mm-hmm. but yeah i think i have the same problems as everyone else i found that um the save the cat book yeah. with the bg i found that useful to keep things going when you're i say struggling in the middle section to find conflict and all that sort of thing and when you're when you're trying to plan something when you you've you know you're saying that you kind of you would be thinking about a scene so you would sit down and you'd kind of have that semi form ready to come out on, on onto the page would you would you plan that? Would you sit down and plan that in a for like a session? Would you have that? Would that be stuff you plan in in your head? And would it be the same sort of planning you would do for like a article piece, or would it? Or would you? Is the same techniques? Um, I guess it depends. Probably not so much. If I was writing a feature piece, I would probably have an idea because when you send a pitch or you're given a topic to write about, you obviously research that quite intensely mm-hmm. and become. Mm-hmm like a weird semi-expert on something, but it's sort of this weird holding point in your brain that two weeks later, someone would ask you a question about it. You'd be like, what? I don't know. I can't remember any of that stuff now. Um, but um, yeah, so you'd research it. You'd also make a list of experts that you probably want to speak to or, you know, background and all that kind of thing. Whereas for books, I think I would, because I have, I, I do write a big synopsis of the whole book beforehand. So there's, flexibility within it but i would kind of have an idea of where it's going mm-hmm. that as i say because i work in these tiny chunks a lot of the time i would probably have in mind i want to write this scene or i want to get this argument written yeah and so i would sort of be a small and i'd try and make keep it a manageable thing because i think everyone's brain goes a bit crazy when you're oh, i'm gonna write a hundred thousand words like no you're not that's <laughs> yeah. mad why would you do that um but yeah it's small if you think oh no i can write an argument between two people and i can make them say some really awful things to each other. Um, and then when I sit down to write it, if something's not, if it doesn't sound right, I just, I don't sweat it at that mm-hmm. second. I, I'm a big believer in the first draft is just to get it out. Mm-hmm. The second draft is where yeah. you start to try and make it sound good. And I suppose, I suppose the same crossover with the journalism is if I can't think of the right phrase or I need to look into a location or research something. I just put X's across the row and right. come back to it later. <laughs> or just put something, research something about National Trust properties here. <laughs> yeah. So it's just sort of <laughs> placeholder text. And yeah. I just, on. and I know I've got to come back to it later and kind of, I don't sit there thinking I have to sort this out right now because mm-hmm. you don't. And and you said that you had, uh, b- before the school run, um, which was your first book, you had written two books. Um, which which didn't get published. So, I mean, w- you know, a, a lot of us that want to be writers have been through that process. Uh, you know, how how did you keep going is a, is a question. When, you know, when you've put a lot of time, because unlike a 2,000-word a article or something, writing a book is a, is a big endeavour. And then to have finished it and be happy with it and send it out and then get rejection, maybe lots of rejections... <laughs> What 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 makes you? I'm talking. I'm more talking personally. Don't worry. Um, um, no, I think you speak for all of us. What what, what, um, what makes you keep going? You know, at that point. 
I think you just do it because you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, or make, yeah, you, so the first book I wrote all the, I mean, I've written the beginning of lots of books, but the first book I wrote all the way through, um, I, that's the one I first tried to get an agent with and didn't happen, just got, it was back in, but I guess it was the late, 2000s really and because i was still sending like actual paper version of the chapters and synopsis and things out and so obviously i was getting all these stamped addressed envelopes back and as soon as you see it on the mat you're like oh <laughs> another one back yeah. who's who's rejecting me this time um and so it was you know it was kind of obviously i mean look back on it now and i was like yeah it wasn't good enough to be published actually but um <laughs> but it was sort of you know i wrote an entire book that's something that a lot of people don't manage yeah. to do. So yeah, absolutely. Retrospective, it, you know, you kind of sat down and did it. Um, and I suppose I kind of, you know, I left it. I didn't sit there thinking, right, I didn't pick myself up straight away, but I just had another idea for a, a different book. So I just mm-hmm. thought, well, I'll, I'll write this one. I'll see what happens with this mm-hmm. one. Um, and it was a totally different idea and it was, you know, a different, um, you know, different experience writing it. And it was actually... When was it? So I was working at Glamour then and it was in sort of, it was not long before my son was born in, he was born in January 2016. And I remember being quite heavily pregnant and sort of thinking, I've got to finish this book before he's born because this is like my last chance yeah. to, to spend time. And it, at that point, actually, I was on maternity leave and then he wasn't born for another month. So I did spend the last month and I thought I was really like really working hard on this book. And you don't realize you have all the time in the world and then you have a baby and you're like okay half an hour is actually loads of time <laughs> whereas before i had like eight hours a day of maternity leave i was like oh i'm so tired from writing these five words <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so the second one that's the one i sent i sent it out and i actually got an agent from that one right. so okay. first one didn't get an agent the second one i got an agent and then when we sent it out none of the publishers picked mm-hmm. it up but obviously in i'd progressed so yeah. it kind of everything was a bit of a stepping stone and then the third one i got a publisher and it got published so yeah. it's sort of it was it was a journey as what what do you I, think yeah. was oh sorry sorry i was just going to say so i think you just you you write another book because you just have an idea and you can't stop thinking about it so you yeah, just yeah. you think oh even if you've just been disappointed and it's just rejection after rejection in the end you just go back to noodling about writing stuff because you like it yeah i mean you when you when you look at the first two books that you, that you tried the third book that succeeded what what do you think is just is it something tangible that you can see this is what i improved or this is why the first two didn't work or is it that kind of nebulous you know right place right time type thing i guess it, it's hard to say because i suppose you know you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with publishers yeah. and publishing That's trends so and yeah. you know they're all looking for this that and the other at a certain point or they predict this is going to be big because of this um I think the encouragement I got from the second book that got me the agent but didn't get published, and it was the feedback from the person who is now my editor, Sam Eads at Trapeze, she really liked the way I wrote, but she didn't mm. think the book right. was the right book. Right. So from my point of view, it was obviously, again, rejection, but it was sort of the best sort of rejection, yeah. which is that we like how you write, but we yeah. can't sell this book to the general public. So it's time to come up with something a bit more commercial mm-hmm. i suppose and and that led to the school run um, which is a, a comedy uh, about the lengths parents will go to to get their kid in the right school um did that was that idea inspired by people you know or or, or <laughs> situations that you've encountered yourselves or, or or you know how did that idea come about well it was yeah i mean a bit of both really it's sort of so the book I actually came up with the idea I had a meeting with Sam and we talked about other ideas right. that I had for books and actually it was, it was we then hit upon something that she was interested in mm-hmm. so um yeah it was just sort of a zeitgeisting really I was a little bit before the actual application process myself but mm-hmm. I once you're in the parent world you kind of get sucked into yeah the mad stuff that happens and one of the mad things that happens is this school place sort of lottery and once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then from, you know, obviously my background being journalism, I always sort of do my research and things. And from, you know, the tabloids to the broadsheets, there's always stories about the 
stuff people will do yeah. or the stuff parents get caught doing and then it sort of happened at the time it's obviously in a different country but the felicity huffman yeah. college mm-hmm. application yeah, yeah, scandal yeah. so the, it's that sort of thing where it's sort of you know all the different hierarchies in society are not above either sucking up to the yeah. local it's quite priest isn't it? or paying someone a backhander to to get their kids in and i think tensions are always heightened anything to do with parenting and children is yeah. always very divisive yeah. because <laughs> it just is. So, yeah, so it kind of, it was from that. And I think, it, you know, as soon as, because you can summarize it in a very short line and everyone knows what you're talking about, I think mm. that's when you sort of know you've got a talking point of a book. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good setup, I think, because I, I think you're totally right about the, the stuff in the US with all the actresses, et cetera, and the actors who, who were caught out in the scam and, and it wasn't until that kind of thing happened that was it kind of drove home the point to me. I was like, this is it's a universal issue. You know, it's it doesn't matter as you say how rich you are, or where you live. It, there's that drive to get your kid in the right school, and it makes folk do crazy things. And it's it's really fascinating, actually. That kind of yeah, human, you know, madness that takes over. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, you think you're you think you're justified because it's yeah, your exa- children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, yeah. the morality goes completely okay out the window. Michael, you're yeah. like, it's fine that I'm pretending to be Catholic and I've never been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. fine because it's for my child. Got a cross on for the painting meeting. And- <laughs> yeah, I've, I've found a loophole in the whole God thing. So <laughs> yeah. I think even he would see that this is right. Exactly. <laughs> And and so how how did it feel getting your book? You know, you worked on writing books, wanting to write books for ages. How did it feel to get that book finally out there and in your hands? I think it's, I mean, it's one of those weird things where you don't really believe it until they send one to you. I mean, mm-hmm. say Tarek, you've got a book coming out next year. Is that right? Yeah. So have you been published before, or is this your? No, pick? no, no, first time. So you'll be getting the sort of proof copies and, and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I got a box of, I give it a year yesterday, which is the first, we didn't have physical proofs for this one because of the whole yeah. COVID, yeah. you know, that whole thing. <laughs> um, so I got a box. It's the first time I've held a physical copy of it in mm-hmm. my hand, but I was still like, oh, it's a box of my books. And I immediately yeah. sent a picture and sent it to my dad. Um <laughs> Because, you know, that's like the people who are your biggest champions will mm-hmm. remain your biggest champions. And every few days I'll get a text from my dad that'll say 170. And I know immediately he's talking about how many Amazon reviews <laughs> I've got. And he just sends me a number of how many reviews I've got on there and gets really upset if there's a bad one on my behalf. I'm like, I really wish you hadn't told me about this because I wouldn't have looked. Now I am going to look. So... <laughs> And um, I was supposed when when you once you 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 were signed and you, you then started to do the kind of editorial pass on 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 the book. Um, I'm assuming at the moment in your day to day job you're the one who gives the notes to people for articles. And I, I kind of wonder what, how was it when you when you were getting them? You know, when 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 you get this pile of notes, when you look through them, is it were they, is it quite hard to take on board? Were you, did you agree with stuff? Did it stuff stuff annoy you, or did it all make sense? And you kind of <laughs> yes. I think anyone who, when you first get your editorial notes, I think everyone is like that. <gasps> yeah. Because you're just like, what? A, it just seems so massive and unmanageable. And B, there's a bit of you that starts prickling with like, why? Why don't you get that joke? <laughs> that joke's funny. Yeah. But then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I suppose from uh, my day-to-day job, I do know that it is a collaboration when you're editing someone. Mm-hmm. And it... I know that editing makes you better. Everyone is better yeah. being edited. Whether that's yeah, sorry. I mean, even if you've got a blog, just someone to read it and tell you when you've spelt something wrong, it makes it better. So yes. even from that very basic point, I would never be someone who criticizes an editor because you know they're amazing and you know, like the sub editors on magazines and newspapers are like the unsung heroes who've saved people from themselves a million mm-hmm. times over from getting sued or you know the the catches they make both legal and things where you you might know what you think but mm, that's not going to come across to the general public (laughs) i think they just you know they make everyone sound better and book editors are the same usually the questions they ask you even if you want to push back on something it makes you think about it again and how you can do it in a better way i think so 
it's, they don't usually sit there and go, this has to go. They're normally like, mm, do you think this character actually is sounding the way you want them to sound? And then yeah. you, you think about it again. So I think, I don't think I have a massive ego when it comes to being edited because I think I have always appreciated the notes that I've yeah. got. So, I mean, so far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I suppose everyone... It, it's all in service of the book or the article. It's all in, or the final the final product. It's all in service to make that the best it can be. And it's, I suppose it's there's always that moment of realization where maybe you need to step back a bit and view it without being so close to it. But I think I think you're right. I think ultimately, yeah, is 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 definitely a good thing. Yeah, uh, and I think they're on your side. So exactly, everyone's yeah. just trying to make it good. They're not trying to like just make you feel bad for the sake yeah. of it. Think, <laughs> you know, everyone could do with a good editor. It's, yeah. it's, there's books that I think could have benefited from rigorous editing. <laughs> I mean, I'll have to say I'm a big Stephen King fan, but I definitely find that some of his books, his later books, they're, they're massive. And I, I do kind of think you probably could slim this down by two, two 300 pages. You know, it does have to be another 900 page masterpiece exactly and i think um, some people they get too big to edit and it's the same with films isn't it when you're watching totally, a three and a half totally. three and a half hour film oh, where you're like do you know what give me a good 90 yeah. minute slick movie yeah. there was <laughs> there was a really good i think it was mark caramel was talking about it a few years ago and he was saying in the 80s and 90s you know it was it, mm. the studio mandate was very much like 90 minute movies you know two hours max because you can put more in the cinema you can play more per day and make, make more cash and now the pendulum swung the other way and a lot of it's to do with what the director's vision is and that if it's going to be two and a half, three hours, that's what they want and we should we should kind of respect that. But no one ever looks back at the 90s and says, this film was crap because it was too short. You know, you don't think about it in that way. You, it, it's, if, if anything, you kind of think now it's the opposite. The films are often too Bloated, long. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need I, to be. I love a 90-minute film. That's oh, the totally. ideal length of time for me. For me, there's got to be a very good reason why it's longer yeah. than two hours. There's a film, I think it was, I, can't remember, I remember it was one of the Godfather films, and we were like, oh, watch this. And it was like half eight, and I was like, it's going to be midnight when we finish this. I was like, maybe we'll just, we'll just leave it. And it's, it's <laughs> off-putting, the fact that knowing how long it's going to be, it is off-putting, yeah. Exactly. Um, in in terms of your actual writing process, obviously we've heard that you you sort of write when you can in terms of fiction <laughs> but um you also said that you wrote you write a synopsis for your book so i mean is that quite a detailed synopsis that you've got before you actually start writing the actual novel yes well yeah the last one well the one for i give it a year was was very detailed mm. it sort of starts as a, just an idea obviously that's just mm -hmm. like maybe it's this maybe it's that and then yeah it, it kind of is I think that it was probably about 3,000 words, sort of. Like, I, I am always a bit amazed when, obviously, when you submit something to an agent and they want a synopsis, and it's usually like 500 yeah, words. That's like, what? Right. <laughs> because, I mean, it's barely enough time to get going, is it? <laughs> um, <laughs> which I'm sure they don't want to plough through, like, you know, the war and peace of synopses. But, um, yeah, I think because I use it as a sort of guide for where it's going and, not so much a chapter plan, but it, it sort of gives a real overview of what's going to happen and when. That, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people that the pantsers, as they're mm -hmm. called, where they just mm -hmm. off they go. Like, I like to have more of a, a plan than that, but hopefully a bit of room within that to change things. And do you, obviously you said your first draft is very much a sort of get it on the page and then on the second draft you'll more start to hone it but is there a point in in the writing that you'll show it to anyone else before you send it to your editor or do you like to finish it entirely before you send it off um i think i yeah actually i finish it entirely i finish it i'll finish it entirely do i won't send the first draft to anyone that mm. no one needs that in their life um <laughs> and then, <laughs> what are these x's oh right yeah i forgot to fill that big back in um uh, the first person who sees it is my agent and she is a, obviously I only, I only really know the way my agent works mm. but she's quite editorial so she will give me notes as well mm. and um so I I would get notes from her before I send it to my editor but I know some people just work straight with their editor on things um, but now I don't really have any I had people who read 
the very first one that I wrote that I didn't get an agent or a publisher. I had sort of friends to mm-hmm. give me feedback, but I mean, they're all very supportive. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> sometimes it's not what you need, is it? Um, <laughs> I mean, you need supportive, but you also need another perfect draft. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I couldn't have enjoyed this book anymore. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Why does no one want to publish it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my agent's the first one. So I would do a, a whole draft. Um, I think I, sometimes along the way I would ask them questions, but I think because the last, the, I give it a year when I did it, it was an idea that had already been sort of signed off by trapeze mm. so I, they sort of bought it on the basis of the synopsis and the chapters so i, okay. I was working for a plan because they have an option on the book after the book that got published mm. so I, I i did change the synopsis based on comments from the editor before right that so well, let's let's chat about so your second book is i give it a year and it's out in january yes. 2021 7th of january i think 7th of january the, the um, ebook is out on the 20th of december oh so. very exciting pre-christmas um, <laughs> um and and so so tell us tell us more about that book and 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 about the and more about the kind of option and, and, and how you kind of pitched that before it was it, it, it was written in as well um, so it's called I Give It a Year. It's about a marriage, essentially. So it starts on New Year's Eve and the main character, Iris, finds out that her husband of 10 years has been cheating on her via a text message that she discovers. And it's they have two kids together. And it's basically the dilemma is poised at the beginning of the book. Should she stay or should she go? And what is the benefit of both um and it's i wanted to write a book about obviously there's lots of books that are about romance and finding the one and i kind of wanted to write a book about what happens after that because mm-hmm. this guy is that she's married to it's not like he's this terrible you know there's lots of books with terrible partners in them you know bridget jones's daniel cleaver was clearly not a good prospect right from the beginning mm. but she married someone that she thought was a good prospect and was a good husband and he's a good dad and there's many reasons why she fell in love with him and stayed in love with him. And now he's done this to her. So I think it was one of those things where do you, do you just leave? Do you just cut your losses and go? But after 10 years and two kids, it's not that simple because you'll never actually be free of them anyway, because you've mm-hmm. got children together, even if you do decide to do that. But also is she still in love with him? So it's sort of, I wanted to dig into the question of what happens after the sort of happy ever after when you've got jobs and lives and kids and aging parents and responsibilities and you you still want to be married or do you and so you're kind of it's it's that sort of after the end i suppose Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's sort of like it's i'd say there's funny bits in it but it's not a comedy a straight comedy like the school run was because i wanted Mm -hmm. to do a little bit more emotional and also look at relationships around uh you know, romantic relationship as well with like your family and your parents and how all those things evolve as you get older um, and hopefully a bit wiser. Um, So yeah, so it's set over the course of a year and basically she decides to give her marriage one last chance, which is a year and decided to see if they can save their marriage over a year and go to therapy and analyse why it might have gone wrong. And is she to blame for any of it or is she just the victim in all this? which is something I think <laughs> she struggles with. <laughs> <laughs> and and how did you find writing that second book then? Was it, uh, you know, following up from the success of the school run, did you feel freed or did you feel more pressure? Um, I don't think I felt pressure. I think, if it had been like a massive runaway bestseller, I probably would have felt yeah. a lot more pressure. If I was like a household <laughs> name by now, um, then I, I can imagine you probably feel a lot of pressure. I've, I've read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, but I read that the person who wrote um, Eleanor Oliphant yeah. is completely fine, which obviously I think that was her first book and it, mm-hmm. it was massive and chosen for Reese Witherspoon's book club and all of those sort of things. I read somewhere that she was feeling quite pressured over mm-hmm. her second which I can imagine um but I don't think there were massive like expectations on my shoulders of what I should write or how it should be so um yeah and I think just because I was really 
excited about the idea and my editor was excited about the idea as well. I, I kind of felt like free somewhere in between <laughs> somewhere in the middle of that scale. But, but but was it different in the sense of you know the, the, it was optioned as you say so you knew that this was coming out and i don't think although although you had the agent and editor relationship for the school run presumably that wasn't bought on the basis of the pitch it was bought on the basis of the book being finished and them liking the book is that is that right for the school run. For the school run. For the school run. Um, that was actually bought on the the pitch in the beginning. Oh, right. It, okay. It was following the conversation. So that after I had my the book I wrote the whole thing of rejected, mm-hmm. and then we had some meetings based on ideas and things like that, and they actually did buy it on the basis mm-hmm. of uh, not the entire book. So, so, so in a way, it was it was a sim. Is you know because I, I suppose what I'm trying to look into is. Normally, you have your first book, which is written Done, over yeah. the period of however long you need to do it because it's your first book and you're not under a deadline. Um, but then on the second book, sometimes it can be more, right, we need the second book by this date and that oh, okay. can change so the like writing the, process. The, the, yes, yeah. the scheduling of it yeah. all. No, it was actually quite similar in the sense that it was, I had a certain amount of time to actually finish mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, I, I'm kind of all right with deadlines, though. Actually. Yeah. So I kind of, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel the pressure. I'm, I, yeah, more the pressure of trying to make it good. <laughs> well, it's been named as one of one of uh, Grant's best books of 2021, which is that must be quite exciting to get. To get yes. That. Yeah, it's always nice when you get like, you know, you see you see it somewhere, and mm-hmm. it's yeah. Kind of, yeah, that is really lovely. And did, does that help, or are you able to know at this stage? But presumably, that's going to help a lot in terms of just its visibility um, and possibly getting it into certain shops. I don't know. But. Yeah, well, that's that's the hope. I mean, mm-hmm. I, again, it's behind the veil of the publishing world. Yeah, you know, who knows? I mean, you learn a little bit more about it because you kind of you know what they're trying to pitch it for, but you don't know how it's decided who gets those spots and who doesn't. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the elusive supermarket slot is what most commercial writers are hoping for. And then I didn't get into supermarkets with the school run, but other people did. And you're kind of like, I don't know on what basis it's decided. I mean, obviously there's certain authors that you know will get spots, but who knows? But yeah, hopefully visibility helps with sales. Yeah. It's a bit weird to supermarkets, but I, I like I totally get it. But I have to say, I've never bought a book in a supermarket. I don't think I've always bought them <laughs> yeah. either I online or or in a bookshop. But um, but I can understand why. I think because obviously they sell them at a discount and people are there, so they obviously obviously it is a is a is a desired thing to have. I mean, in terms of um, marketing, you, you you said earlier that the contacts can help that you've made in your journalism career can help mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, getting your book out there or spoken about or maybe a blurb or something like that. I mean, how has how that, that worked for you? It's mainly to try and um, pitch ideas to publications. Right. Then have a credit book at the end. That's the kind of, that's the contacts that I've okay. found in my sort of from my journalism, you know, I might, I know the features editor at a certain publication, mm-hmm. so I could yeah. say, can I write an article about this? And I mean, again, it's, it depends on what the editor of that publication decides they want to publish. So it doesn't always work, but you have a name and an email address to yeah, go to, to, yeah. to sort of do mm-hmm. that, which is obviously more than a lot of people outside of journalism mm-hmm. has. You can, I know who the features editor of mm-hmm. and such magazine is. Um, yeah, so it's it's more that sort of thing where, and because I do have a journalism background, I suppose they they are, if they like an idea that I pitch, they are more likely to commission it than someone who's never been published in a magazine because obviously it is a, a knack and a skill to write for certain publications and in a certain tone of voice because that's it's totally different to to writing books. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you sort of have to have the right pitch and then be able to write for a newspaper or a magazine or you know, to word count, to deadline, etc. And I think we always, well, we're always, but it's hard not to ask this question during the current uh, time we're in, but launching the book during the pandemic, albeit hopefully the 
tail end, perhaps. At the start of the tail end. Sure, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit long tail. It's, it's, a, it's a good six, eight month long tail. And, um, and you know, what's your, how's it been? Has it been quite a challenge compared to launching the first book in terms of, you know, book, availability of bookshops and that, that, that sort of thing? It does feel very, I mean, I suppose the people who launched a book in, in the very strict lockdown of sort of May, June, I think mm. they just thought they were just throwing a book into an abyss. Mm. Um, although all articles I've read said book sales were up, but it'd be, I would be very interested to know about, is that book sales for everyone or is that book sales for people yeah. you've already heard of? Because yeah. I think, you know, most websites, you search for a name, you don't just walk around and have a look and see what's mm. out there so yeah totally um uh this time around it's been different because i had like a little book launch in waterstones last time and all my friends came and you know i had a drink whereas this time that's not going to happen and yeah i did I, in fact i did two book launches i was so uh <laughs> so greedy on the book launch <laughs> front but i had one in london and i had one in sheffield where i'm from with sort of local friends and my family um yeah, and this time, like I said, there were no physical proofs of the book, so they sent PDFs out, which, yeah. it, you know, it, it does feel a bit different seeing it in the world now. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess in January, I kind of feel like things are going to be similar in January, so it's a case of will bookshops be open? Mm-hmm. Will people be looking for... Yeah. The main thing, actually, um, was obviously it's set over a year, and I don't say what the year is in the book. And I never did say what the year mm. is, but I did originally just because I needed to hook it to certain dates. Then you just look at the calendar and it was originally set over 2020 because that's when right. I was, <laughs> I was kind of writing it in 2019 and into 2020. Yeah, so yeah. I thought, well, just pick, pick a year. And so all the dates, because they were sort of dates where the couple go to therapy and go on holiday and things like that. So it was, I kind of just arbitrarily picked mm-hmm. that calendar to work to and it was when it was being edited that the um sort of copy editor was like obviously this is not set in 2020 and we never say <laughs> it's set in 2020 but if someone really eagle-eyed checks the dates it would be like this is supposed to be happening during lockdown in the uk so we went back and we changed all the dates to 2019 right okay <laughs> but it doesn't say 2019 it just says it's just, a, like, it yeah. just it, in case someone really looks into those dates yeah. works out. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose there's always that chance you don't want that person to give a one-star review on Amazon to say, well, it's a great book, but the dates are all out of whack. So it's well, I mean, different. and there will no be one's wearing any masks. happy to make <laughs> yeah. that comment about exactly. it. Exactly. Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, would, you, would you ever want to write some other form of writing? So like a movie script or a TV script or something like that, or, or is novels where you want to continue? Um, I think I would love to write a script. I don't know how. So uh, it's one of those things I would love to, um, again, it's, it's, you know, it's different skill, isn't it? It's different knack. Mm. I mean, if anyone wants me to help on the TV adaptation (laughs) of either of my books, I would be more than happy to help out with that. Um, uh, Yes, I've always been, because I I love TV and film. And as I say, I was the entertainment director at Glamour. So that's sort of Mm. my background in, um, you know, my interests and things, but I, I don't, I don't know where to start with a script. So, but, and I, I do love writing books because I just think you have so much space to be able to really get into it. So I'm, I'm more than happy to remain a novelist, hopefully a best selling, uh, novelist. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what's, what's next then? Um, well, I'm working on another book. So just working on that at the moment nice. and we'll see. We'll see what happens with that one. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's the main things, day job and carrying on writing. I mean, I, I, I've had two books out now and I still have a day job. So, um, yep. I think that's the case for 95% of yeah. authors. So, um, yes, but working on book three. So watch this space. And is that, that's a book that you've, you've not got a deal in place for that book yet. No, no. No, I've got um seeing my current publisher has first refusal. Right. Okay. That's that's sort of in your contract. They have first refusal on what you write next. It depends what kind of deal you get, but I, I they just bought I give it a year and then they mm-hmm. have 
option on the next one. So we'll see what yeah. happens. Oh, very cool. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last film that you watched? Uh, the last film that I watched, I, me and my husband have got really into watching films from the 80s and 90s that we used to watch all the time when we were not nice. together as teenagers, yeah. but <laughs> as teenagers. And so we recently watched both the Bill and Ted films. Yeah, nice. Um, because you watched we the third to, one? No, because we wanted to watch the first two in anticipation right. of seeing the third one, and then lockdown happened and we couldn't <laughs> go and see it. <laughs> and then they were releasing it on demand in America, but they didn't do that yeah, year. No, so it's it's still, not here still yet, is it? I think it did come out in oh, September it? or October. It came out It was briefly. in the cinema, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Oh, I, I, but I, we didn't manage to yeah. catch that. So we watched that, and uh, I still love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as much mm-hmm. as I did back in. <laughs> can confirm <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I watched it with my girls actually recently, and they they enjoyed it. They didn't. They didn't like. I always remember liking Bogus Journey more, but they didn't like that one. As they thought that one was too stupid in a way. Which is saying something, <laughs> but the whole the whole oh, time travel, Napoleon and <laughs> stuff in the first one going down the water slide that was all fine. But Napoleon <laughs> being at yeah eating the Ziggy Pig yeah, ice cream that's exactly. fine. But I haven't seen these. I haven't watched them for a year. I can barely remember them. I'm gonna have to. Watch, I think I'm watching the, the first two again for the in preparation for the third. It's an excellent show, and I think I might do that over the holidays. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth doing. Um, what was uh, the last book that you read? Uh, The last book I read, it's not out yet, which is a bit annoying probably for people listening, but I would very much recommend a pre-order. It's out in April next year, and it's called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Dawny Walton. And it's a, um, it's sort of like an, or I don't know if you read Daisy Jones and the Six last year. No, I remember reading about it, but I've not read it yet. Yeah, so it's sort of about a fictional band that, um, in a sort of like their oral history and it's similar to that but it's about a duo a british singer songwriter and an american singer who was sort of put together by their record company and um they were sort of on the brink of becoming famous when an incident happens at one of their gigs which sort of sets them off in different directions and it's uh the daughter of one of the band who's now a music journalist he's it all together and it's brilliant it's set in um sort of 70s New York and the present day. And it's just a really interesting read about the music industry and a sort nice. of thick musicians. Great. What was that called again? It's called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev. Cool. Awesome. And uh, what was the last TV show that you watched? Uh, I watched The Undoing. Oh, yeah. I just finished that myself. What was your thoughts on it? Um, I... And I really enjoyed it for Nicole Kidman's swishy coats. And <laughs> I really, really like Hugh Grant as a mega creep. Yeah. I like, I much prefer mega creep Hugh Grant. He also to... had a very bad coat, I thought. <laughs> yes, he had a bad coat. Um, but yes, I really like him in sort of sinister mode more than mm. I like him in rom-com mode. So mm. I liked that about it. Um, but I do agree that the end was a bit disappointing. Yeah, I was very let down by the end. Um, yeah, I obviously won't spoil it for anyone that's, that's still watching. But um, yeah, I, 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 and in hindsight, I was it, it's it's a kind of weird way to be annoyed about it. It's hard to talk about it without saying what it is. But, you know, when, when the twist is finally set free, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense. But it, you kind of wanted it to be more, you know, crazy, twisty, and it was quite straightforward. Yes. And it's a bit of a letdown, I think, yeah. Yes, but um, so yeah, I watched that, and I am currently undergoing a rewatch of Dawson's Creek on Netflix. Oh, nice. Really enjoying. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I I used to love all these uh, teenage dramas. <laughs> I know I'm on season three, which is where Joey gets together with Pacey, which is oh, the best series. Classic. So I had to get through a lot of quite boring, like will they won't they Dawson stuff before we got to the bit that would be in the good bit. So. Excellent. <laughs> um, and then the very last thing we do is a quick fire, either or. Um, so that, as Tarek likes to say, there are no right answers apart from to one of them. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, first one, uh, the BBC Two comedy Motherland or Modern Family? Motherland. Uh, TV or cinema? 
I, both for different reasons. <laughs> uh, that's how the game works. I mean, right now, I would give anything to be able to go and see a matinee by myself in the cinema, <laughs> a giant Coke and a giant bowl of popcorn. Yeah. And I would probably watch anything. I would literally watch any <laughs> film to be able to do that right now. But uh, probably TV most of the time. Yeah. Um, a fancy restaurant or takeaway? Fancy restaurant. And uh, last one, real book or ebook? Real book for me. Okay, that was the Tarek only one that, so that was incorrect answer. <laughs> <laughs> ebook. I, I thought ebook would be a no-brainer for you with the early early publication of your books coming out. I do. That was about to celebrate when I heard you say that. <laughs> I do like. I've, I've got used to reading ebooks, but I just I just love being able to go like flick back and. I don't know. I just I think because <laughs> I I look at a screen all day for my job, so I like to look yeah. at a physical book when I'm not doing my job. Fair enough. Love me a bit of Dawson's Creek, as I was saying there. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to start watching that myself again. I never got into Dawson's Creek. You're kid. too young, Tara. You're too, too young. young. I was more of a, more of a keen than Kale. Sister, sister. I don't even know what that is. That's how old I am. Frank Sinatra was still going strong. Exactly, exactly. No, Dawson's Creek, Party of Five, the OC. Those. Oh, the OC. Those, uh, the yeah. OC. I was. Uh, I was the cuss. That was new enough, I think, when I was when I was old enough that it was crisscrossed yeah. over there. And then you get Gossip Girl, which is actually I am too old for, but I did watch as well. <laughs> You've got another way now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, enough about uh, uh, teenage dramas. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that chat with Helen. I thought I thought yeah, it was, it was uh, really interesting. And you know, I just picking up on what I was saying there about you know we mentioned the the sort of desire to get that spot in supermarkets for a book. You know, that's that's a coveted mm-hmm. thing for a new book to get. And I I understand why that is in some ways because obviously it means that you're everywhere, I guess. But at the same time. Like I said, I've never bought a book in a supermarket. I know it's, it's something I've never done either, and and I suppose and actually, when I think about it, I'm not sure I've even looked at them in a supermarket. You know, it's it's not something. It's the same with things like video games and CDs and stuff. I yeah. never think of that as a supermarket. But know. I think we must be the exception to the rule because there must be a be. reason that, that people. And I suppose want you're it. also just even if you're just on a shelf and a lot of people walking past, looking at the front at the front of the book, that's a a big thing, I suppose. You know, just getting in your head. I think I think that's right. Yeah, I suppose that's right. And it is generally your big name authors that will be in the supermarket, so yeah. that you know there is a reason for it. I guess. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I always buy from the supermarket. Do we want to know this, Tarek? Yeah. <laughs> Christmas jumper. That's Tarek's top tip. Christmas time, your Sainsbury's Christmas jumper. It's the cheapest jumper you'll ever find, and it's also the best. I've seen you wearing a Christmas jumper that isn't from Sainsbury's. You spent 50 quid in a Christmas jumper. Okay, that was last year. I made an exception last year because it was an excellent Spider-Man themed Christmas jumper. <laughs> I, I would have spent twice that on it. But the year before that, you remember my elf jumper with yes, the bells uh-huh. on it. Yeah. That was a Sainsbury special. Okay. Excellent. There you go. Ten quid. Ten Bit quid. Free advice on this podcast as well, <laughs> not just about writing. <laughs> um, well, thanks very much to Helen for for taking the time uh, to come onto the podcast. Really appreciate that. And do check out I Give It a Year, um, which is out now. Uh, definitely worth picking that one up as well. Um, and next week, we've got another great guest on the podcast. Robert Dinsdale is on next week, who is a fantasy author kind of an you know gaming type yeah sort of i don't know if you call it magic realism but it's that sort of grounded grounded fantasy i guess is what you would say yeah he's perhaps best known for the toy makers which was this kind of you know breakout novel Mm -hmm. um, back in 2018 and paris by starlight is his latest book which is just out november 2020 yeah, it just out at the end of last year, and I've mm-hmm. got that and I've read it, and it is a it is a really good book. It, it's as as you say, it's sort of if you, if you're into sort of Neil Gaiman, Neverwhere, or um, Aaron Morgenstern, uh, mm-hmm. that that that's that sort of world is is what you're getting when you when you read one of his books. Um, and it, he also worked briefly as an age, a literary agent as well, that's and we right. chatted to him about that as well, which was really interesting. So. Um, it's a another really interesting chat, so uh, please do join us again for that one. 
Um, before we go, I will do my regular plea that if you enjoyed the episode, please do give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. If you're able to leave a quick review singing our praises, that's even better. But uh, just clicking those five <laughs> stars would be ideal because it helps us climb the charts and being higher in the charts helps us to continue to get great guests. And of course, if anyone has a question or a comment, they can get in touch with us by sending a tweet to at right underscore gear or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later. <laughs>